Welcome to the Wandering Bard Podcast. Hi, thanks for joining me on the podcast today. I'm recently returned from a four-day fiddle event up in Massachusetts that really has me motivated to practice and put out podcasts and write some music and learn some new tunes. It was called Fiddle Hell, and uh, it was four days, and it's organized by Dave Reiner, who is a uh, fiddler himself. Now, it doesn't just focus solely on fiddles. It's the primary instrument, but they have like little workshops every hour with different styles. They have old-time music as the predominant style that's focused on there but they also have like irish musicians cape breton scottish they even have some like gypsy romanian hungarian type of stuff and there's different instruments too guitar and vocals piano even pretty much something for everyone in terms of traditional folk music the instructors there are definitely world class and the thing i really like about this hobby i've kind of mentioned it before but many of your heroes they are kind of accessible so Bruce Molsky was one of the teachers there, and I got to do a bunch of workshops with him. And if you have not listened to Bruce Molsky's music, you basically stop the podcast right now and go do it. Uh, there's some other high-level musicians I've heard talk about Bruce Molsky, like Daryl Anger, for example, who is a very good fiddler in his own right. He said there was uh, his pre-Bruce life and post-Bruce life. So he's kind of like this revered, almost religious-like figure in many circles. His band, the Molsky's Mountain Drifters, has a new CD out, so I would definitely encourage you to check it out either by the CD or it's even on iTunes and all that stuff. So I'm at this event, and basically every hour, like I said, there's like a different workshop, and it's really intense. You basically just record everything and pick up what little pieces you can, then you come back home and basically have all this material to work on for, for months afterwards. So I've been so motivated that I've been getting up at 1 o'clock in the morning to work on some of this stuff that I uh, picked up there and then I'll, you know, go to back to sleep for a couple hours and then I'll go to work and come home and work on it again. But at one point on a Saturday, they always have a concert with the faculty and it's really awesome. But, um, I get a little anxious being surrounded by so many people sometimes. So I basically did the same thing this year that I've done in past years when I've been able to make it. And that's, uh, I just, I went to the bar at the hotel that this thing is hosted at and just kind of had a beer or two and waited for the crowd to die down. And that just so happened that there was another lady at the bar who kind of had the same social anxiety that I do and did the same thing. And we ended up talking and it was really cool. She is kind of like on the opposite side of where I'm at in terms of the music world. So she's runs this folk music school, this big festival, it's it's well known. It was really interesting seeing someone, you know, on the other side of when I send out a, a press kit or ask a venue if they want to hire me or a festival person if they want to hire me, seeing my counterpart on the other side as we're both kind of learning the industry, so to speak, as we move in parallel with each other. But we had a great chat and uh, I, I learned a lot about the business side of things. She actually had a great anecdote about the person that the podcast today is about. And this gentleman's name is Jerry Holland. And so I want to make a correction to the last podcast. I mentioned a tune called Sad Eyes Waltz. Now, there might be a tune called Sad Eyes Waltz, but what I actually meant 
was Lonesome Eyes Waltz. And I misattributed the name of that tune to a different composer. Lonesome Eyes Waltz is actually written by Jerry Holland. And so when I realized that after I released the last podcast, I thought, well, I should do a podcast on Jerry Holland since I need to make the correction anyway. And so that's who today's podcast is going to be about. Now, Jerry Holland was a Cape Breton fiddler, and that's not a style that I'm intimately familiar with. I've been exposed to it some and kind of runs on the periphery of Irish and Scottish music. And something interesting about Cape Breton music and the other regional styles in that area, like Prince Edward Island, many Irish and Scottish people immigrated years ago to that part of Canada. And when they did that, because it's so isolated, there was not a lot of mixing of styles. So Scotland and Ireland, their traditional music continued to evolve and change because people would come through or add things to it and it continued to progress while the Irish and Scots that immigrated to the Cape Breton area, their music basically was preserved. So I'd always heard this anecdote and I asked uh, this, this lady about it and she kind of confirmed it. She was more familiar with this type of music than I was. And that was that the Irish and the Scots who wanted to learn authentic Irish and Scottish music for many years, they would actually go to Cape Breton because it was so well-preserved. They were kind of learning contemporary-style Irish and Scottish music, but it didn't evolve from what it was in the years that the Scots and Irish had immigrated to Cape Breton. Just a fun little Cape Breton music fact for you. One of the interesting anecdotes that I heard from speaking with this woman at the bar, you know, I got to talking to her about the podcast and Jerry Holland, and she said that he had a hard time getting gigs in Cape Breton because he didn't have a traditional Cape Breton type name. He didn't have like a McMaster or a Beaton last name. So he was kind of viewed as an outsider to some degree, which is true. He was born in a place called Brockton, Massachusetts. You know, looking back on it, he was one of the more well-known players of this style and definitely composers as well. She said that someone she knows had an anecdote of he ended up building their deck at one point because he couldn't get enough gigs as a full-time musician to to pay the bills. So I thought that was really interesting that this guy who has this pretty great legacy as a musician was, was doing that to get by. Like I said, uh, Jerry Holland was born in Brockton, Massachusetts, and both his parents were Canadian. His father was from uh, New Brunswick and his mother was from Quebec, but they lived near Boston, which had a large number of expatriates from, from that area. And so he was exposed to that music and he kind of picked up music around the age of five. After only two years of playing, he actually made a debut on television for a show called Don Messer's Jubilee. It was a folk music variety show that was hosted by a gentleman named Don Messer, obviously, who was the leader of a band and he was a fiddler himself. And it was a 30 minute show and he would play music with his band and they would often have guest performers on and they would play music together. In the mid-60s, it was actually the number one show in the country and even beat out the Ed Sullivan show. So for Jerry Holland to be on the show at only two years of playing, that's a pretty great accomplishment. By the time he was 10 years old, he was playing pretty regularly in the Boston area. His family would go to Cape Breton for summer vacations, and he eventually ended up moving there in 1975. Much of Jerry Holland's experience came from playing with older players. There's a quote or, or concept that I like that basically says, if you train with nine world champions at something, chances are you're going to be the 10th. 
So his playing was really propelled by learning from these older players who had been doing this for decades. Exposure to these older musicians also allowed him to get his repertoire up to over a thousand tunes, which is really impressive. 1976, he released a self-titled album, but it wasn't until his second release called Master Cape Breton Fiddler, released in 1982, that really got his reputation going in the community. He was able to kind of have a progressive style while still paying homage to the Cape Breton tradition. And I can tell you this is an extremely difficult thing to do. There are traditional music purists that don't like any kind of deviation from the style or method of playing a piece of music that they are accustomed to. My most recent release for my cover of the song Galway Shaw was received really well by people not super familiar with traditional folk music, but mixed reception from the purists. I had actually one guy told me, tell me not to quit my day job. So I always found it interesting that people associate stuffy attitudes toward classical music, but as you get deeper into it, that mentality can definitely persist in traditional folk music as well. But to each their own. I definitely appreciate anyone who took the time to listen, even if they had some harsh criticisms for the end result. In total, Jerry Holland appeared in three dozen albums. Thirteen of them he did himself, and the rest he was basically a guest musician on. He created two collections of original compositions, and one of his more popular tunes is called Brenda Stubbard's Reel, which I actually never knew came from the Cape Breton tradition. I had stumbled across it in Irish and Scottish circles, and I had no idea that he had written it, so this was really interesting for me to find. Coming up under the tutelage of some of the greatest fiddlers of the Cape Breton style of the last generation allowed Jerry to be an in-demand musician eventually and take his music around the world to places like Germany, Scotland, Finland, Norway, Ireland, Sweden, and Denmark, just to name a few. Jerry's father was actually a fiddler himself, and because of the expatriate Cape Breton community that they grew up in, he got a lot of Scottish influence. His father actually really liked Irish music too, and so Jerry Holland ended up listening to a lot of these old records from kind of the forefathers of what Irish music is today, like Michael Coleman, James Morrison, and Paddy Killerin. Because of this, his style is kind of an amalgamation of a lot of different regional styles, but he tends to still be respected by the people in these traditional communities, the, the purists. In an interview with the Boston Irish Reporter, Jerry says, I guess this exposure to the Irish musicians appealed to the radical in me because I enjoyed the idea of playing Irish tunes in the Cape Breton style using different ornamentations. It certainly opened up the possibilities of taking elements of different styles and creating something new. Oftentimes it was said that Jerry would play tunes that he knew in different styles. Now this is kind of a very nuanced thing to do. The average listener that isn't really familiar with each of these musical styles might not notice, but it's really impressive if you're able to switch and pass muster, for example, to play an Irish tune in the Irish style, then the Scottish style. But he was actually really well respected in, in all of the communities that he played styles from. One year, he was at something called the Icon Music Festival, and he was playing a set of tunes with a guitarist named John Doyle. And John Doyle is the guitarist that plays very frequently with Liz Carroll. She's one of the kind of pop crossover Irish traditional musicians that are at the forefront of the scene today. 
and they played to an overflowing crowd, and the crowd gave them three encores. Jerry wasn't just a great composer or player, but he was apparently a really great teacher himself. He had a very deliberate and distinct method of teaching. He would break down tunes into very simple phrases and really go over the bowing in depth, making sure everything was ornamented correctly before he would go on to the next phrase. And this isn't something that I've seen done very often. A lot of times they'll just, uh, a teacher will do a call and repeat type of thing. They'll play a section, then you try and play it back and you just keep doing that. Or they'll just play a tune over and over and over and over. And you just try and jump in and pick up pieces of it as you can as they play it. So this is kind of a unique method. Now, as I do these podcasts, especially about the composers or the players, I never really know what I'm going to stumble across, what I'm going to find out about these people. So it was really interesting, the podcast I did about Patty Fahey learning how kind of he was a recluse and very unique, never did a commercial recording. I thought all that was really interesting. But learning about Mr. Holland was was kind of sad. He was apparently a, a very warm gentleman. And you can see this in many of his recordings. You kind of pick up a, a vibe from him and his playing. He kind of reminds me of a grandfatherly figure in some regards. This idea of how warm of a person that he is was just repeated over and over and over again. I'm going to share a couple comments that I read about Mr. Holland. One comment says, It's difficult for me to talk about how I feel about his music without it sounding like hyperbole. His playing to me is on a different level than any other traditional musician I can think of. I don't really know how to express it. His playing wasn't just about the tunes. Somehow, his playing transcended the tunes themselves and expressed something about the human condition. In this way, his playing was like a great painting or photograph. A great painting transcends the nuts and bolts of technique. It isn't about the use of color and form and line and the formal composition, but rather uses these to create a work of art that expresses something. Another comment says, I'd admired Jerry's music for years and finally had a chance to get to know him a bit at the Swananoa gathering a few years back. He was one of the kindest and most generous souls I've had the pleasure of meeting in this life. A final one says, My wife and I had the pleasure of meeting Jerry Holland on trips to Cape Breton the last couple of years, and we were both struck by his warmth and kindness. I can tell you that this warmth and kindness that this user references really comes through in his playing, and especially if you get to see some of his videos, I highly encourage you to check them out. Mr. Holland passed away from bone cancer in July of 2009. I actually stumbled across the letter that he wrote to his friends when he discovered that he had this condition. Now, this is publicly available online, so I don't want it to be misconstrued as some kind of violation of Mr. Holland's privacy. If I'd come by it through illicit means, I wouldn't be reading it. But the letter goes as follows. I hope all is well and happy. I have some bad news if you haven't heard already. It looks like I have bone cancer, and the talk is that they will be taking my leg. I go into Halifax on Tuesday coming, and they'll do a biopsy, and I think they have Friday booked for taking my leg. I hope to find out that it's nowhere else in my body. I wouldn't have been surprised if they first told me that I had lung cancer, but this first... They told me that they think that this is the only spot. Bone scan says this and a full chest scan x-ray, I think they called it a CT scan. Blood tests, he said, looked okay. They did an MRI and a CAT scan, and the doctor in Halifax has that info. I haven't heard what those test results are. I'll know, I guess, on Tuesday. It will help in giving me some idea what gigs I'll have to cancel. 
I don't want to cancel any if I don't have to, as these three months is where I make my year's income. I'm sorry for dumping this on you folks. I thought you should know when I had some clear info. Thank you very much for your loyal support. Please say a little prayer for me. My best wishes to all. There's a follow-up letter from one of his friends after the procedure that says as follows. Hello all. Just to let you know how things are going with Jerry. As planned, the tumor was removed Friday and the space in the bone packed and reinforced. There will be a bit of radiation therapy and then some more testing to locate the primary site. His cheer is good. He has just been overwhelmed with the warm wishes of people from near and far, and he'd love to be able to reply to everyone, but the hospital duties are pretty demanding. Because of the surgery, he'll need some quiet time in the next week, but he looks forward to being in touch soon afterwards. As a musician, we're always trying to convey a statement or emotion with our playing. And I can tell you that Mr. Holland did this consistently for many years, and he brought happiness to many people through his conveyance of the concepts of warmth, grace, and passion.
That piece was titled Lonesome Eyes Waltz, and is actually the piece of music that I came to know of Mr. Holland through. He has lots of other great tunes in his repertoire, so I definitely encourage you to go celebrate the life of this warm, kind man and his incredible musicianship. Thanks for joining me on the podcast today. Please go to YouTube and check out my rendition of The Galway Shaw. Go to Facebook, follow me at Brandon the Wandering Bard, Patreon, Instagram, all that kind of stuff. I feel like I may be emotionally beating people up a little bit with some of the topics of the podcast lately. So instead of the normal play out, what I'm going to do is I'm going to play this really uplifting song that I heard when I was at Fiddle Hell. It was played by Molsky's Mountain Drifters, which again, I encourage you to check out their latest CD. So all I've got right here is one microphone, a guitar, and I'm going to sing. There's no processing or anything on this stuff. I try and keep all that stuff to a minimum in the spirit of traditional and folk music. So, But this one in particular is it's just me, guitar, one microphone. So don't say I never did anything for you and hope to see you on the next episode. Until then, be bold, be kind, and safe travels wherever you're wandering to show. There is more joy somewhere There is more joy somewhere Ain't gonna stop until I find it There is more joy somewhere There is more hope somewhere There is more hope somewhere Ain't gonna stop I find it There is more hope Somewhere People got a good job Somewhere Got a lot of good friends Somewhere Got a little suitcase Got a little family Over on the bright side Somewhere There is more